it took me a minute and uh, I'm like, I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew how to do was just run home. But my sister-in-law said, Jeremy, Walter just drowned. We're in the process of, of, um, of giving him CPR. Uh, he's somewhat lucid, but it, He's not all there. We called 911, but because we're in a rural area, 911 didn't come that quickly. Um, and there was nothing that I could do. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ad Blocking with Jason Dwayne Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time that tests all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad blocking is a safe space. A space where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising. Stories of growing up, coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. Today's episode, I have the fortune of talking with a great friend and fellow parent, Jeremy Bloom, National U.S. and Canada Sales Lead for Adobe Experience and Advertising Cloud. We cover a lot of ground in our discussion. The preciousness of life, the value of laughter, and the power of positivity. If you know Jeremy, you know him as someone that sees the bright side, despite adversity, a go-getter, and a family man that will stop at nothing to keep them safe, prosperous, and caring for all mankind. I hope you find Jeremy's vulnerability as encouraging as I did. It takes a special kind of guts to go as deep as he does in this discussion. With that said, let's dive. give you an example for me, Jeremy, and thank you for joining me on this journey. I mean, before we start our conversation, yeah, I want to acknowledge how we became friends, you know, and we became friends as a build on this idea of control slash sheepishness, and I'll even move it into vulnerability and acceptance. And we became friends through just care. Me moving to Chicago from New York, uh, coming in with the perspective that I understood the market, I understood my work very well. And, you know, I just want to make sure I can get a little bit of an edge on Chicago. And we sat and you gave me not only your time, you gave me your energy, and you also gave me a lot of input and feedback about this environment and being adaptable, right? Not bringing the game from, uh, you know, last week into the game of next week. They're different, right? And I think having that kind of vulnerability is something that I've probably embraced more in my life today. And it's a good place for us to start, man. And I'll tell you a brief story. And then I'd love for you to share a little bit more with me about how your 2020 is gone. But this adaptability in 2020 has probably been the, the biggest theme for me. And I have this story that I, have, I sat up thinking about last night before our call, man. And so I live next to um, an older gentleman uh, old South Side guy, Tinley Park guy, root root, and we share we share some things in in common, but one of the things that we don't was a surprising, um, I guess, posted sign of his support for Trump and Pence on his porch near the election. Now. Our conversation isn't going to be about politics, but I raise oh, well, we it. Can make, we can make it about politics, but keep on we, going. We can, but I raise it about adaptability because I had a moment, Jeremy, where I went inside, I saw my wife, and my wife says, I'm done with Ron. I can't believe that. 
he spends time with our kids. Uh, we have let him into our home. And for him to understand our values and to slap us in the face with support for this part of the country, I'm done with him. And I had to take a deep breath. I had to take a deep breath because I had to look into all the good things I had done with this man. All the times I went fishing with him, all the conversations we've had, all the great things he's done for my kids, you know, and I put my trash can out of, I'm not home. He brings the trash can back for me, you know, just a human. And, uh, and his family coming over, the man is, you know, 75, almost 80 years old and seeing, of course, he has built a life of love around him. And I had to ask myself, Jeremy, am I willing to sacrifice that in exchange for this singular belief? And then my mind started to go, Jeremy, is it a singular belief? Am I missing something? Is there more to it? So for me, when I think about 2020, I've been confronted with adaptability like never before. I can't say I've always found the right response to that confrontation, but it has been one of the biggest themes for me this year. And I want to ask you a similar question, Jeremy. If you think about how you've evolved, how you've changed, you know, what has really sort of impacted your way of being in 2020, one of the most eruptive years you and I have ever experienced, how have you been impacted and what's changed about you as a person throughout this year? Fantastic question. Uh, I'd love to hear your answer though, Jason, because you said that you went back inside and you ruminated about it and you asked yourself that question about how to handle it. But I, I, when we can, I'm sure we'll organically get through that as we do many of our conversations over the past several years of our good friendship. The um, 2020, it's, it's been the same as any other year to me. Uh, nothing's changed. Life as usual. I'm completely kidding, say it in complete jest and sarcasm. It's the, the, the one thing that has been the same though, in all seriousness is surrounding myself with positivity, surrounding myself with family, surrounding myself with people that are optimistic, that aren't whiners, that, that aren't complainers and people that will just embrace and accept the fact that, you know what, there's a, there's a challenge for all of us. There's a challenge that's taking place and it's more than just me. It's more than just Jason. It's more than anybody else that is uh, helping brands sell more shit, pimping pixels, you name it. It yeah. has to do with just true humanity and how we treat each other and how we go about, about our daily ins and outs, the daily conversations we have, the common decency of just being a good person and just thinking about others and not just yourself. Um, Something that, that, thinking about it, just resiliency, being calm. I think this year I have taught myself a bit more to, I don't want to say relax because I'm really not good at relaxing. I'm, I'm an absolute <laughs> go-getter. That's right. I was going to say that yeah. I would not put relax no. in the adjective of Jeremy Bloom. No, you, no. you will go and get it, my friend. Thank you. Um, we're the same age. Our kids are the, are the exact same age. Uh, the, and we both have that nonstop ambition to just keep on going and to keep on achieving things and to, to knock down any kind of barrier. But the resiliency and the, and the calmness or the calamity, I suppose, would just be recognizing and realizing that each day there are 24 hours. And everyone has their, everyone is handling 2020 in a completely different way. You've got single moms, you've got single dads, you've got friends that live in apartments or condos by themselves that don't have pets. You've got clients that are going through divorces. You've got friends that are going through, um, that are going through job loss. You've got family members that are going through uh, not getting health screenings because they're, they're afraid to go see a doctor because of what's happening in the world. They're afraid to leave their house. You've got so much where it really just humbles you. And you need to remember like, you know what? The only thing I can, I can do is I can, con I can control what's up here as I'm mm. pointing to my uh, relatively balding forehead uh, <laughs> is I can control my thoughts. I can control my feelings. And if I'm 
genuine, if I'm empathetic, if I'm just not a dick, and if I can, and if I can treat everybody the same and understanding that every single person around me has got something else going on and just ask them, Hey, how's your day going? Like, Hey, how are you? And stopping and waiting for them on a, whether it's a zoom, whether it's a work call, whether it's taking, taking the trash out and seeing my next door neighbor, uh, who may or may not be a Trump fan or a Biden fan or, or, uh, a Jill Stein fan from four years ago, because you and I both live on the North side of Chicago. The, the, um, the aspect of essentially realizing that there are other people that feel a sense of pain, that feel a sense of suffering, but then asking them, because I think that's what's happening right now is there's so much sensitive. There's so much sensory overload. I saw a, a fantastic, uh, GIF, GIF, however you want to throw the peanut butter at it. <laughs> uh, image yesterday on LinkedIn that uh, an, an old client um, in contact of mine who, who um, I'm not close with her, but I've always had a, a fond amount of respect for her and she really understands her space. Uh, she's at Hershey's now and she put up an image and it was just about like what advertising is doing to you, sensory overload. And it just made me think about the the components of while we're all in our own homes and staring at our four walls and staring at the same people every single day, we have to acknowledge that everyone else is doing that. And we have to figure out like, okay, I'm in my four walls, but, and I'm in my own head, but what are other people thinking about? And if you're not necessarily asking them how they're doing, what they're thinking about, they could be in a really downward spiral and you just don't know. So you just, you just have to give a shit is what it comes out to. So 2020, Jason, I would say is the year of authenticity, being genuine. A lot of people in this, in a lot of people right now, because of the vulnerabilities, because of politics, because of advertising, because of staring at screens from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, to trying to find time to be a parent, trying to find time to exercise, uh, having looking at your four walls and thinking, huh, well, should I re should I put a new picture on behind my, behind my head for when I'm on a zoom? So I can showcase my family. I can showcase my interests. Huh, how should I set up my desk in my extra bedroom or my kitchen or my basement that I never thought I'd be inviting the whole world in to see. And it's, there's so, so there's so like, true. you know, I'm, I'm, I sit here and I, my wife who was in our ecosystem, in our space, like, 2020 has been a, a very weird year for all of us. We, we were in the process. I'm 40 years old. She's turning 37 in a few weeks. We both have been in tech, sales, media, advertising, MarTech, you name it, just the whole run of the gamut for quite a long time. And, and Sally, my wife, decided to, we decided to do something more entrepreneurial. We wanted to do something for ourselves where we planned on opening up a business. We planned on doing something that'd be fun for our kids, for our friends, for our neighborhood, for our community. So we had the opportunity to open up, uh, to become the franchisee of uh, a, a kid's bouncy house called Pump It Up. Now mm. I've told you about this, but the aspect of Pump It Up, it is a, it's a birthday zone utopia for a bunch of little kids where they jump up and down on these giant inflatables that are the size size of a garage, the size of uh, an apartment for the most part. And we were planning on opening that up in the spring. And we put a, an announcement on, on social media. Uh, uh, coincidentally, ironically, the same week as we all went to shelter in place. Like, oh. hey guys, guess what? Sally and Jeremy are going into the entrepreneurial dream. We're creating a kid's bounty house. Sally's leaving a, a, an amazing publicly traded company to go uh, run a fun place where, um, you know, where you could just see people smile and laugh and just celebrate, just celebrate. And then, you know, 2020 hits, you got a global pandemic. You and I are on flights every every week, going somewhere, going here, going there, staying in different beds, trying to maximize the amount of hours that you're going to spend with your children, with your wife, with your working out, uh, and just feeling good. And then 
you know, obviously things just, they, they compress, they, they, they don't go as planned. And so when you going back to the controlling aspect, you want to, you, you can, you, you try to be in control, but you can't be in control of everything. So we, we, we put that on hold, we put pump it up on, we put them, we, we deflated the inflatables, so to speak. Uh, and we put them back on the shelf for, uh, you know, till, till we come out of this and it's, it's reinventing yourself. It's reinventing so much. Tell me, you are such a humble person that you explained in a very short order, <clears throat> self-discovery, massive risk-taking, family decisioning, long-term planning, um, and absolute terrifying uncertainty. I want to talk about the uncertainty a bit and that, and also decision to manage uncertainty. When you and your wife decide symbolically to share this sort of move towards uh, independence, um, family decisions for, for your household and, and also some financial planning for you all, Mm-hmm. And you symbolically help your community and your network understand that decision. It's a big one. It is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And again, symbolically, you see that same announcement met with the announcement that the world was confronted with, which is COVID-19, quarantine, Stay at home. Cold word, if you have a brick and mortar business, you might just want to go meditate. Yeah. Talk, you know, talk to me about how you, a two-part question, how did you handle that uncertainty? And as you handled it, where did you find the strength to navigate it with the confidence and power that you did? When life gives you lemons, make a lemon meringue pie out of a micro- with a microwave. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, you never know what the hell's going to happen. So we are something that I that I I really preach to the, the the folks that I work with and I embody in my daily life is levity. Every single day, you gotta mm. laugh. You just mm. gotta laugh. You gotta remember. Okay, uh, at the end of the day we are so fortunate that we didn't start the construction. We are so fortunate that we didn't hire dozens of people and we went, didn't have to furlough them. Uh, we also want to be responsible and look at it in the sense of if there's a global pandemic, I certainly don't want my five and eight year old jumping around in the kids in a bouncy house. So it's, it, it's more of just, you know what? That's the way life works. It's not gonna like the world doesn't revolve around me. The world doesn't revolve around. I'm just one tiny, 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 tiny uh, spoke in a giant wheel that's gonna keep on turning, and no matter what, every day the sun's gonna come up. And it's about how I feel and how I act. I know that. I know that it'll be great. I know that it's gonna gonna be fine because you're gonna trust someone to. It's all about trust and accountability. Uh, so we, we overcame that. Uh, another thing that we overcame, and I, sh- I shared this on LinkedIn, uh, I shared it on Facebook, obviously people that have no idea who I am. And um, well, before, before you yeah. even share it, I know you're going to share it. Yeah. But I, if you don't mind. Please. Because you, I will do some of the referencing for you. Um, because as you talked about the bouncy house and you talked about part of that passion was wanting to bring children joy and an opportunity to be with each other and have great memories. You are a great dad. Okay. And as I say it, I can feel myself getting a little choked up about it because of how I see you with your children. Yep. And um, because of your personality, which is very optimistic, I can remember waking up on a weekend and seeing a very vulnerable LinkedIn post, an unusual LinkedIn post, in fact. And it was about 
a young person that many of us got to know, Walter. And what I read has shaken me and has guided me in fatherhood and parenthood in relationships since you posted it. And I, I, will, I want you to talk to folks about that experience, but what I wanted to preface was your experience with the potential of loss, not some theoretical loss, loss of a being, a life, a, an important aspect of who you are, what guides you, what makes you who you are, and being confronted with that in an environment in which there was some feeling of um, loss of control because you were far away. You weren't nearby. Nope. And I think for any mother, any father, any friend being confronted with pain, loss, injury of a loved one, and then feeling lack of control in that environment is absolutely terrifying. And I'm happy that you started to bring it up, Jeremy, because I, I wanted you to actually talk about a that experience and what that experience experiences has done or how has it shaped you since I, I I have really admired your response to it. I've admired your vulnerability and openness to it because you've helped so many others. Uh, but yeah, please, please, I love to talk about what happened and how it has shaped you since, man. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um... Yeah, it got me a little choked up while you were uh, prefacing it. So the we have two kids. We have Hannah, who's who's eight, who's uh, who's in second grade here in Chicago, and my son Walter, who uh, Walter is in is is now in kindergarten. Uh, my daughter, we have been, Sally and I have gone through a lot health wise uh, with her family. Uh, Hannah had uh, when she was one, she had a a blood virus where we were in the hospital for, for about a week. And then that scared the shit out of us. And then Walter, when he was between five and six months old, we had an emergency surgery. We, he, he had something called intussusception hmm. and a lot of people, and it's a hard word to say, it's a hard word to, to Google if you're in front of your computer or on your mobile device, if you're typing in intussusception, it's basically when, uh, your small intestine and large intestine uh, overlap. It's it's um, it's as if you were is uh, it if you were putting a condom over a banana, so to speak, and it just gets stuck. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And so he was five months old, and he wasn't taking down any food, and he was uh, having tremendous issues. We took him to the doctor, took him to the hospital. They did uh, an emergency treatment on him. It imploded his insides where um, having that paternal instinct, having that just calm, relaxed attitude that I typically have, I said to a bunch of doctors, my son's not right. I, I, I'm not an overreactor on things. And I, I do overanalyze things, absolutely, but I don't overreact. Hmm. And I, I need you guys to give him an ultrasound and or an x-ray. Something's not right with my son. And I, I called her pediatrician. She was in the hospital at, at Lurie in Chicago. And she, she came and she met with us. And she's like, I can see it in your face. Something's not right. So back then, again, this is four and a half years ago at this point, uh, he had an emergency surgery. They took out half of his intestine. They took out his appendix. And then we were back in the, in the hospital for, for a few weeks shortly thereafter. And this is at the same time um, after helping to take a company public uh, um, and just a lot of responsibility and just being surrounded by so many amazing people from the tube mogul side, uh, from my, my mentors and, and close friends uh, that were uh, above me, next to me, and, and just working collaboratively, just supporting throughout that. So Walter is, is a kid with nine lives and he's, he's already used two of them. So he's on seven right now. The story that you're going towards is 
uh, it was really hard in for all of us, every single person listening, to decide what to do over the summer once COVID started. started you felt like it was getting a little bit better. Um, on a scale of one through 10, 10 being the most conservative for how to react to the coronavirus, mm-hmm. I would say my family lived between a, a nine and a 10, where mm-hmm. I, I lived in a 10, my wife lived in a nine, where we were the family that was taking out bleach, you know, Clorox wipes and bleaching down our Amazon boxes and um, not really leaving our houses that our house that much. And my wife is very close with her family. And we uh, in June, we, we went for Father's Day, we went to an Airbnb in Michigan. So we, we stayed in an Airbnb. We got there on the Saturday night, um, uh, Juneteenth was that Friday. We got there on June 20th and the Father's Day, I believe was June 21st, that Sunday. So we, uh, we were there that, that Saturday night on Sunday morning, Father's Day, um, with, with my in-laws for the first time in five, six months, hadn't seen them in a while, felt good to see them. And I said to everybody, there was a pool there. Well, I should have prefaced it that like that. There's a above ground swimming pool. Uh, I, said, I said to Sally, I'm like, I'm gonna go for a run, watch, watch the kids in the pool. So um, I don't need to get into the, into the intricate details, but I was three miles away so what would have been a six, a six mile run on a country road in the middle of, I don't even know, in Michigan, uh, 45 minutes outside of Grand Rapids. And all of a sudden I'm getting all these calls on my phone. I was thinking, why in the world, who's, why are my in-laws calling me if I just said I was going on a run? So I answer and my sister-in-law was panicking saying that my son had just drowned. And uh, I was shirtless. So again, I'm a, a, a short, athletic, good looking, but chubby Jewish guy that's very hairy. And um, it was a very hot summer day. I was just in running shorts, socks, and, uh, and running shoes, nothing else besides for my phone in my hand. Hmm. And um, it took me a minute. And uh I'm like, I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew how to do was just run home. But my sister-in-law said, Jeremy, Walter just drowned. We're in the process of, of, um, of giving him CPR. Uh, he's somewhat lucid, but it, it, he's not all there. We called 911, but because we're in a rural area, 911 didn't come that quickly. Um, and there was nothing that I could do as a dad who cares so much about safety, who, um, mm. if, if you ask my kids and I, 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 I don't even say this in jest. I don't say this with any sarcasm. I say it with just pure, just scrutiny to the, to the term and the severity of when I say to them, what's daddy's number one rule. They both say like with eyes rolling of two sarcastic kids, safety, 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 safety. Jason, you and I both live in a very big city. Uh, we choose to live in a city versus in in um, in a different suburb or in a in a burb. We have the ability to choose where we want to live. We both have been successful, and we we love the fact that our kids are in the city. So everything we do, I have to tell them. I have to stress: you got to be safe. You have to look both ways. You have to wait for the cars. You have to put your helmet on your scooter. Oh, you want to go rollerblading? Put on your knee pads. Uh, just everything, just about about just persevering that, that long-term, just being safe, just thinking a couple steps ahead of other people. And so when I got that call, it, it shook me. I, I, I felt every single sense of emotion. Uh, mm. I, I didn't know whether to scream, whether to shit my pants, whether to cry. The only thing I knew how to do was just be calm. And so I kept on running. Um, my father-in-law and my sister-in-law picked me up. One of my sister-in-laws picked me up uh, at a Dollar General or Family Dollar. He picked me up. I wasn't, all I had on were my running shorts. Uh, the ambulance had come. They had taken Walter to, uh, and, and here's the irony, the 
not Betsy DeVos, but Betsy DeVos's uh, mother-in-law. So here, like, as we're talking about politics a little bit, uh, somewhat mm -hmm. tongue in cheek, and here I am in, um, in an area that doesn't feel as comfortable as what I'm used to when I go outside and look at my own front lawn. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm saying we're at the, I, 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 it's also COVID. So like, let me just take yeah. a step back. It's, yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. middle of June. Oh. You see a, a hairy, sweaty, balding, shirtless guy try to enter a hospital without a mask. And they're like, I'm sorry, sir, you can't come in. And, and I didn't know how to react. I, I wasn't calm. I'm like, my son was just in an ambulance. He didn't have a breath and they were just able to resuscitate him. Like, I, I need to come in. My father-in-law, 70 years old, took the shirt off of his back. I had this huge double XL shirt uh, that looked like a nightgown on, uh, walked inside the hospital, they, they, they took me. Walter was, was somewhat coming up, somewhat understanding what was happening. Uh, we don't know how long he was under for um, or, or if I do, I don't even remember just because I think there's a component of the, in the back of my head where I'm trying to forget some of the details, mm. you know, so mm. horrific for Sally because she, she was the one, my, uh, my sister-in-law, her partner and Sally and, uh, pulled Walter out. My other in-laws gave him, um, mouth to mouth and CPR, uh, he's alive. He's in great shape. Now the, um, we talked to the doctors. He was truly, and I don't know if I put this in the post cause I wrote the post. I wrote the post at two in the morning, three in the morning at the hospital. Uh, I didn't really sleep. I felt, I fell asleep probably at four or five that night for two or three hours. Cause I was in his bed, just cuddled with him for most of it. Uh, we are so, amazingly fortunate that um, we were 10, truly 10 seconds away after they did a bunch of tests, 10 seconds away from him either being completely brain dead or dead. And that's the hardest part. Um, he has such a giant smile and he's like the, one of the happiest kids around. Yeah, um, just a sweet, sweet little boy. And um, it was an accident. And so it, I, I wrote it I even edited it. I wrote it. I was about to publish it, but I had to take out a little bit of um, PII, call it that, um, where I wanted to just, um, but it helped me. It helped me during the process because the whole purpose of why I wrote it hmm. was for other people to understand that accidents happen. And there's like, when it comes to water safety and it, this all goes back to COVID, it all goes back to how we kicked this off of Oh, what picture do I have on my wall for when I'm looking at people in Zooms? Oh, um, what eat? What am I? What am I going to order from Amazon or DoorDash or Postmates or uh, X, Y, and Z? Lululemon, Peloton, and I'm saying the the upper ended brands in the sense of because we're all sitting in our homes, people are thinking like, how do I how do I improve things? How do I do this? How do I do that? What we're not doing. We're not looking and thinking about wow. Let's be present in the, in the conversations that we're in. Let's be present in the sense of, of our family. And so all of the people in our, in our ecosystem that would list, that will listen to this podcast or that read the story on LinkedIn or, or, or shared a lot of times on Facebook, the whole purpose is because people were going into their backyards. They were putting up every, a lot of people were ordering at these inflatable pools. Um, hmm. On Amazon, people are going to Target. They're putting pools up in their backyard. Everyone's working from home. Uh, everyone in our in this ecosystem. And it, when you're working from home, when you're not leaving your home, you're getting pissed at your kid because you're only around your kids. Your kids aren't going to school. Yep. Your kids are focused on their own Zooms. You just want those few minutes of of peace and quiet. But the whole purpose of that note was to was to showcase. Um, accidents can happen. There were, there were adults there somehow. Uh, it was, there was miscommunication about, um, about his floaties hmm. being on or off where Walter was. And he, he, he's, a he's got giant, giant balls for a five-year-old, uh, at the time of four and a half-year-old and felt like jumping in the pool without anyone there. Hmm. And, um, so that's what happened. Huh? He, he, that's what he, happened. He, 
Yeah. Yep. So, and um, my nephew, who's actually on the spectrum, was the one that saw him at the when Sally started yelling, "Where's Walter? Where's Walter?" And um, he said, "Oh, Walter's sitting at the bottom of the pool." Oh. And not knowing, and so then everyone pulled him out. Um. Yeah. And uh, and accidents happen. And the reason I wanted to post that story and share that with everybody. The lack, of, I didn't have any control over the situation and it was an accident. I'm not, I'm, I'm at peace with it. I love my in-laws. I love my family. I love my wife. Um, it was nobody's direct fault. It was purely six little kids all over the place. Um, accidents can happen within 10 seconds of, of anything. And so the reason I posted it was whether someone was, you've got a house in, uh, in Michigan, where you spend a lot of your time, and you're you're in a town near Lake Michigan, and if you're going at the beach, or if you have neighbors who have, whether it's uh, in ground or above ground pool, you look at your phone because you have an email that comes in. Oh, you want to post an awesome video of one of your kids doing something silly on Instagram. Oh, your older kid is doing something on TikTok, but you don't you you don't turn your head over the left shoulder to see what's happening with your younger kid and. That's it. So that's why I I shared the story and um, thank you for for bringing it up. I didn't know if we were, um, I didn't know whether or not to talk about it here, but I appreciate you, um, you addressing it. And again, he's, he's good now, but when you asked about 2020, it's overcoming adversity. It's overcoming, uh, realizing that none of us are in control of anything. The only thing that we can control is our feelings and how we treat each other. Well, part of the reason I brought that story up, and I'm happy that you shared a bit about it, um, is because it it inspired me to think about um, forgiveness, self-forgiveness. Um, and it also made me confront the concept of regret, actually, Um you know, these conversations aren't about me, but it, 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 it brought me to, and that's why when you talk about Walter and for people that are listening, they may not see him, but if you want to imagine what a human manifestation of joy is, that's Walter. (laughs) Thank you. Such a, he's such a bright eyed child and just great smile and represents a lot of hard work of being a parent. And it it really made me think about that, man. Um, So thank you um, for sharing. But it made me me think about something that really just troubled me in my life for a while. And then you, you, you gave me some courage, Jeremy. So you should feel good about that post. Sometimes having these conversations, sharing things in the right context in places like social media, it has an effect on people. And I have a bit of an experience that, gosh, man, I'm a little little embarrassed to even share it, but that's what this whole conversation is about is vulnerability is. Humility, vulnerability, EQ. Let's hear it, my friend. I mean, year, years ago, my pop, my dad passed and without sharing details that may not be appropriate for my family in his passing and me being the oldest son, uh, I was in charge of many of the final decisions in his life. And in the moment, and even in the present, I've always been confident in many of those decisions But you look back and you go, again, with you being a dad, Sally being a mom, and in the matter of split seconds, you have to make life-controlling decisions. If you make the wrong one, it could be another narrative. And I've always had to kind of rest on this idea of decisions that I made in relationship to the final hours of my dad's life and days of his life and um were they the right ones so 
you know, it, it, your story encouraged me to really imagine a new vision around regret. And so it's maybe a question for you, man. You have had to make a lot of decisions around your life, your family, your work, your spirit. And people don't like to talk about regret. They don't like to imagine or even admit that maybe that is a part of their life. And sometimes regret can actually inspire you to do great things. And I love for you to talk about that word question isn't about whether you regret anything. If you do, I love to hear, but it's more about a word that we often avoid and the word that we can sometimes look down upon actually. And I'm very curious about how your life has sort of grown and developed and where that concept of regret has played a role. Um. Wow, that that's a it's a it's a heavy topic, and obviously to to go off the heels of you specifically talking about you going through uh, the loss of your father eight years ago and thinking through the the deeper meaning of of actions or things that you could have or would have or should have, I think it's something that I think it's something over time that I don't look back. There's stupid, silly things in college. I think, okay, 20 years ago, it would have been nice to study abroad, like little, little fun things like that. Sure. But the way that I've gone about my, my adulthood, the way that I've gone about purposeful decision-making, the, the way that I've been about, that I've gone about treating people, having business conversations, having friend, developing friendships, creating meaningful relationships and just giving a shit and caring. I don't regret to me means it's a, I, a lot of people will probably disagree, but the first word that comes to my mind is, is weakness. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that, by, by weakness is just going for it. Don't look back and think, I would have done this. I could have done that. I should have done that. So true. When all this happened, it really made me think I've been in the same ecosystem. I've been at the same between TubeMobile and Adobe and and being a a lead of North America for a, a giant company and just doing amazingly great things. When all this happened with Walter, it also made me think like, am I making the right career decisions for myself? Should mm. I be doing more entrepreneurial things? Am I being the best that I can possibly be? Mm. Um, that That's a, a different topic for a different day, but the regret component is if someone is stopping and regretting or thinking through their actions too much, they're not being as purposeful or deliberate or giving it their all. And when I think of someone who doesn't give it their all, to me, it's kind of like, why the hell are you wasting your time, man? Like, do something that is going to help you succeed, achieve. You got to just go for it. You only live once. And I think Mm -hmm. the, I am so, I don't think I've, I don't know. I I know for sure I got rid of some of these details in my, in my post, but the fact that my my that some of my in-laws went and and did CPR to my son, the fact that they all had the wherewithal, like, where the hell, where's Walter? If the you can't live in the sense, ooh, what if I didn't do CPR? Ooh, what if I if you want something, you gotta do it. There, mm. Time isn't gonna stop and stand still for anybody here, anybody that's listening to this. I am I'm not one who uh, who overuses sports analogies, but you got to pick up the fucking ball and just go for it, so to speak. Totally, totally. If you want to get better at something, you got to practice it. You got to do it. If you want to achieve something, you got to set goals. Someone that says, oh, man, how did you do this in your career? Oh, man, how did you do this in your life? Oh, you got to have that experience because I put myself out there. Like it's showing humility. It's showing vulnerability. It's, it's knowing that it's having the self-confidence, the self-worth, and just the overall self-esteem to know that I'm not going to be 
awesome at everything, but I would rather try things. I would rather put myself out there. I would rather try to have a, I like to, I like to take on challenges. I believe that anyone listening to this, that taking on adversity, um, accepting that something's going to be hard and saying, you know what? If someone passes, like, holy shit, I should have told that person more often while they're alive. And it, it, it teaches you something. So the weakness, maybe it's weakness to look back. And I don't go back on my word of saying weakness. Going, and I'm a warm, fuzzy person. I'm a very, let's let's give each other hugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a weakness in the sense of, there's a sense of if you're not going to be able to talk through what's going through your heart and your mind and your feelings at the time, then why even live? Not, I don't mean it in a, in a, hor- in a horrific, uh, morbid way. Why do what you're doing? Just stop and say to someone like, I love you. Thank you for what you're doing. Just being grateful and just, just, just doing it. What about you? How do you look at the term regret, Jason? It is, I think your use of the adjective weak is something that I struggle with in that I've had to over time embrace the concept that I won't get all of my decisions right. I won't, I won't, I won't. Um, And that many times when I don't get it right, um, the results may be harmful potentially that, 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 that is a, that is a potential outcome. And, but as you said, Jeremy, what I've grown to understand is there is a power in decisiveness. There is a power in righteousness and applying righteousness to my life helps me accept the potential of regret because I did it with good intentions. And so I think what I've done is accepted the concept of regret as maybe a sort of symbol of, 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 of weakness and, and not from a personality trait, but weak in the sense that you can't allow it to guide you, but I've, I've given the word regret an opportunity to birth a new word for me, which is righteousness. And I've tried to live by that as best as I can. So Jeremy, I want to first thank you for the time. And I always close my conversations with the question that I think is meaningful and very important for others to understand, which is what would you say is your personal code what is your mantra? What are the rules or a rule that you live by, Jeremy, that guides your life and your contribution to the world? That's, uh, do we have time for a second podcast? (laughs) (laughs) A handful of things are going through my head. Um, I think one of the biggest themes today has been just to live your life with empathy and to treat everyone with, with, with kindness, by having levity, by being self-aware, by being able to um, recognize that you're not the only person in the room. You're not the only person in the world to, to be kind, be nice, know that other people are, um, And the, it's a it's a quick four letter four words that pop in my head. Like when you ask me this question, my knee jerk reaction. I know I've said this throughout the podcast is just don't be a dick. Like just be just be a good person. Be be nice. Like I, the nice people. Like genuinely, they're the ones that will get by in life and have a smile on their face because they don't have a chip on their shoulder. Like, don't compare yourself to other people. I think that's one of the biggest things. I try not to compare myself with other people too much, uh, whether someone has has more um, 
more financial wealth or more traveling experiences or uh, more kids, more uh, accolades professionally. I think about it in the sense of, God damn, I'm really, really lucky. And I th- look at it in the fact that I'm lucky because it's A, who I surround myself with. I surround myself, I prune the, I'm close friends with a lot of people from high school, from college and a handful of people from high school. They're all very successful because they're all nice, really humble people that had a, a wonderful sense of humor uh, that I try not, you gotta be able to not take yourself seriously. So like the rule I'll never break I'll never take myself too seriously. I will treat everyone and whether someone I have sat down professionally with CEOs and CMOs of Fortune 500 companies. And I have also uh, worked with a tremendous amount of, of young adults who are 21, 22, 23, or interns that are in college. And I don't give a shit if you're 50 years old and if you've got $50 million to your name or if you're 22 and you're $50,000 or $150,000 in debt because of college, I'm gonna talk to you the exact same and I'm gonna treat you with dignity.